0: Uh, it was about 460 acres uh, of land bounded by Grand Avenue on east, on west, stretched all the way to almost Union Station on east, and uh, from all the south to the railroad tracks. And the city of St. Louis bought the land, created it from almost every building, and uh, the plan was to come in and build new housing, new commerce, and new industry. And they were hoping that with these new buildings, and the trend of exodus of people and, and businesses from city to county would be reversed uh, and then people would start living in the city and businesses would invest in the city and uh, one of these housing developments was the key town the uh, town was about 30 acres uh, of low rise to three-story buildings it was bounded by compton avenue on west and uh, ewing on east olive uh, on north and the key avenue on the south what i found out most interesting about the town was that, first of all, it was built, started in 1963. The construction started in 1963 and it finished around 1968. And it was designed, as I said, for low moderate income families. But it not only was for low-moderate, but it also was racially mixed almost from the very beginning. It was a 60% white, 40% black, uh, which at that time, in a city that was racially segregated, in a country that city was racially segregated. This was an advanced step, uh, considered very, very uh, unusual, and I was doubtful that it would succeed, but it did. And it was not only racially mixed, but it was income mixed. They had various different peoples, from very low income to people who could afford to pay market rate friends. They had professionals, engineers, doctors, students, musicians, artists, all walks of life. People lived there harmoniously, and it worked for about a decade. And that success brought national attention to the city town. And many articles were published in magazines such as Time Magazine, Newsweek, Fortune Magazine, Week, Architectural Forum, and many other magazines throughout the country. And and all the articles praised, first the architect or uh, whose name was Tobio Woodard Smith, who was Trying to prove
1: certain facts that might or might not make a good way of life. But I have to tell you first why I got interested. And that I think is in many respects more important even than what the final results were at the Town. But I will tell you later on just exactly what did happen there and why uh, from a very reputable, very desirable place to live that went down here. This, a, I've actually, believe it or not, I have been interested, I'll be 88 years old in January. I've been interested in housing for 80 years. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because it has a, a major bearing on the Cleve Town and why it was done and what happened there. Uh, first of all, I might in summary say that I personally, Millstone Construction or our other companies that we set up have done every type of housing that there is. We built the first public housing project in 1936 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Why St. Petersburg? Because Senator Claude Pepper was chairman of the Senate Housing Committee for, uh, bidding on a project on that side, making the bond, because all of the work was highly competitive. It wasn't much work that was just dish hour, done cost plus. It was highly competitive work. But anyway, uh, and after that we did practically all the public housing projects in St. Louis which came much later than when we were working in the South. We also worked uh, in three offices in Florida doing nothing in housing. We were in Montgomery, Alabama building housing. And then we closed those offices after World War II because conditions have changed so much and we got very busy up here in St. Louis uh, doing other things than housing. We built most of the shopping centers here. Bush Stadium, the Tower—we've done lots of construction, and also we run a division of heavy and highway, which personally I have always preferred doing heavy and highway work because uh, there we don't have to depend on a lot of subcontractors. If you don't use the lowest subcontractor, you're not the low, lowest general contractor, and then even if you are the low general contractor, you have to build it with the lowest sub-contract And that is easiest, so because they're not always the best. And you spend all of your time uh, buying and uh, trying to supervise people. So as a result, most construction got out of the uh, general contracting business about 12 years ago, when we've continued our heavy and highway division under the name Manfred. We have the third generation of Magnets that run uh, Anger Painting Company, and two of my grandsons are with that company. Okay, so much for the, uh, the background of millstone construction in general and why I ended up as owners and builders of the clean The reason I referred to 80 years in housing, people have to understand that in that period of time, Many things happened that made uh, housing either desirable or undesirable. And many of these conditions uh, are beyond uh, any individual's control. As a result, I don't know that I have any answers, even after all the experience that I've had in housing, that what the answers are. I couldn't today tell you uh, what the answers would, would be to come up with so-called desirable uh, low-cost, uh, not low-cost, because there's no such thing as low-cost. Uh, you may leave things out, but it's funny. Whether we were building 801 Skanker, which is a luxury apartment, or we were building pruitt Igo at that time, the costs were the same. The, the brickwork or the concrete for the yard, or the doors, or the roofing, were identical. There was no difference. The only thing that would make it no cost would be because the people so they don't stinker would put in fancy uh, carpeting or, uh, or air conditioning, which at that time they did not permit and so in public housing or any low-cost housing because that was supposed to be a luxury. Well, we know it isn't a luxury. In St. Louis, air conditioning <laughs> is not a luxury. It's important. So, or at pruitt uh uh, they came up with uh, skip-stop elevators. They had saved a landing, well that turned out to be a fiasco. And uh, I'll talk about architects because we worked with lots of different architects. At that time, that was the uh, Yamasaki, which was part of the uh, Helmuth at that time. Later on, Obama took his place. They designed line. So uh, I may sound critical, by the way, of uh, some of these uh, people, architects, and others, even Chloe Bill Smith, when I get over to the clean town, she will tell you problems that we had uh, with her design. If there are architects uh, in this group, imagine who there will be, some of these will be lessons that uh, you should take to heart. But anyway, getting back to this concept of housing, and why we've been involved with it so long and why I have been interested in it. As a young boy, my grandmother lived down at Knife and near was, now, I guess, Delmark, somewhere. Else. And I used to, at that time, we lived way up the west at Kings Highway. We first moved to Kings Highway. It was a dirt street. Going north, dead ended at what was Eastern. That Christian Brothers College was down in that yeah. But anyway, I refer to that so you'll get an understanding of eventually of what brought about the Cleetown. First, first of all, at that time, any place you had you to go on the streetcar. My father was a young engineer working for Saint Louis Car Company turn of the century when they manufactured all the streetcars for the United States. Uh, I was born, he, in order for him to be able to walk to work, I was born on Adelaide Avenue, a house there facing whatever that park is down there. And then in 1909, I think we moved out to what was then James Highway in Bonversa, which now would be Emma. And that was way out. The river had just finished up, and that brought on quite a bit of movement westward. Uh, the city originally, as you know, developed along the Mississippi River, going north and south, across the left, up north, because everything was revolved around the river. To river. Uh, later on, it started to move uh, directly, west, directly west. So, anyway, I would go down on the streetcar, the on streetcar, That's down to my grandmother's. On the first floor was a bakery. They lived upstairs. Centuria's bakery. I loved going down there. What young boy wouldn't like to go into a bakery and take what he wants. Or I'd go down the block and there was a candy store and I'd get a nickel dime, whatever I can't I'd go anywhere in that neighborhood by myself young boy, and there, and there was uh, activity uh, there. It was one of the original neighborhoods that uh, I don't know who built the buildings to begin with, but already people were moving farther west, and that started this whole trickle-down uh, process, and many people were very, very critical. Certainly weren't advocates uh, of it, but all I can say is it, was, it worked. There weren't any, they weren't highly desirable units, but nobody was homeless. Never heard of anybody in those names being uh, homeless. In places we say, I never had a door key, our house was never locked." No. So as different ethnic groups started to come in, uh, Irish, Italians. Uh, Yugoslavia because St. Louis was a city that uh, had uh, many uh, tradesmen here and uh, if Irish came in and they, your families were bricklayers, they became apprentices and eventually brick on bricklayers and brick contractors. the same way applied to the Italian with cement finishes over. This is how the city was built and these families would move in as they prospered, they moved down And that started your trickle-down process. And uh, and then eventually, uh, the Blacks, pardon I know today I'm supposed to say Afro-American, I guess. When I say Blacks, I guess I'm excused. Okay. (laughs) So uh, then they started coming in uh, from the south. And uh, there had to be uh, a place to live. And they were at the end of this process of trickle-down because by this time, uh, people had, Prospered, and inflation was making many of these properties more valuable and they by and large became uh, rental properties instead of people owning them they became rental and uh, many people uh, I won't condemn those people that uh, that uh, kept those units at, uh, uh, as rental units some of them were better than others some were bad landlords no question about it Remember my father-in-law, uh, who was headed up an insurance agency, some real estate uh, man on Chestnut Street was loaded with real estate people, and uh, he sold him as an investment. Uh, uh, I guess you call them tenement, uh, similar uh, luxury buildings that had been remodeled into uh, into boarding houses, there was others that were uh, row houses. Uh, and, rent. and I used to go, and when the Depression years of the 30s set in, I would uh, try to help him out by going and collecting the rents, and it wasn't easy. I would go, uh, I never, I, I always felt safe. Nobody ever bothered me, and i go up dark hallways and all, sometimes the people would be able to pay the rent, sometimes they didn't. But uh, this was the trickle-down process that went on for many years. And many people today kind of shock me when they have great nostalgia for them. I guess like when I said I went to see my grandmother and I liked what was down there, people like the idea that you had the European influence of somebody living and going to school also, by the way, and walking to school, that. Man. And they think that, that many of the slums never should even have been wrecked. There was great criticism when, uh, when uh, large so-called slum areas by this time, they were slum areas because they had now deteriorated to the point where they were that infested and they were not really livable. And some people didn't like the idea. That, uh, you started to build uh, Pulitikos, you started to build other type of housing, and mean, you completely lost this uh, neighborhood uh, uh, atmosphere that people uh, liked. Uh, but uh, what then started happening, when these houses started to be wrecked and they weren't livable anymore, at the same time there were many blacks starting to come in from the south, Arkansas, Mississippi. And they had to be housed. And this is when the concept started of the public housing that we would build uh, large units. The first ones we built, by the way, were not high rise. They were three-story, but they were large projects. And But it was the only way, it was the only way at that time to house these uh, people. You, there were thousands any of the other so-called slum units left because a lot of them were wrecked for the uh, 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 Bush Stadium, which we also built, or along for the arch. There was a lot of uh, places being wrecked. So they provided, to begin with, they provided a place for people to move into. Many of these people had never been in a new, modern building. They had come out of basically shacks no inside plumbing uh, and all, but it was the only place really to house these people at that time. Now we all know the problems that started to uh, uh, come about because of the problems, the social problems, the other type of problems with putting thousands of people with young children uh, in uh, congested uh, areas without control Prior to that, there was plenty of family control, but by now, it seemed to be things were changing. Anyway, with that, uh, and then also, in addition to these public housing projects, we had built the original, all the original FHA projects in this area were subdivisions and all. Well, frankly, at that time, that worked uh, well too. So, why did the FHA units? Uh, Work well because number one, they were ownership, they were not rental. There's a big difference between owning and renting. Plus, inflation was making these units that we originally were building trying to keep under five thousand dollars per unit, they were going up to ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Now, people had a real investment, most of them were adding. Sweat equity, finishing off the basement, uh, adding the room, whatever it was. They took care of them I made a lot of money, and that's gonna bring up the economic aspects that I'm also gonna talk about as far as the town is concerned, and why it didn't work in that regard. Uh, now these were all experiences that I had lived through uh, by the time we'd arrived at this Cleetown. Uh, so, uh, that was a time of a Levittown, also. we showing starting this concept of Levittown. We were building just as many housing units or more than Bill Levitt was building around all of our different offices. Uh, some subdivisions, a lot of public housing uh, projects, but a lot of units. Uh, and the end cost per family was always the same. Originally we used to pay two thousand twenty five hundred per unit is about what they were running. That was back in the thirties. But uh, with according to our cost records that we've kept over all these years, uh, it's twenty times today what it was in the thirties. So twenty times two thousand or twenty five hundred before $50,000, which it is. At the same time if you buy an automobile for five hundred dollars, twenty times five hundred is ten thousand. Wages were in proportion. Labor's got 50 cents an hour, 20 times be $10 in St. Louis, they get closer to 20 out in the South, in St. Louis. Mechanics, they've got a dollar an hour, carpenter's ironworkers, curricular, now get twenty five thirty. So there's, it, it all runs in, in proportion. Uh, so, uh, uh, so anyway, now with the experience that we've had uh, as of, and you must remember that I got involved in all of this type of housing work because we were contractors looking for construction work. I wasn't looking at them as investments. In fact, we, none of them were investments uh, for us. We were just contractors. So anyway, this leads me up to uh, the great town where uh, where the HUD, I don't know if it was HUD at that time, and there have been so many different names of uh, housing, federal housing, but uh, uh, they decided that they were going to give allocations for housing units, I think it was 221D3, I think, there were so many numbers. 221D3, um, there were several other, that wasn't the only pro- program. Each one of them had conditions attached to, to the particular type of loan. Uh, okay, so now when, they, when St. Louis was awarded a certain number of units and, and, and uh, low-cost loans, only well, one low-cost loan, so the interest on it was four percent, three percent, four percent. That was sort of the going rate for mortgage money. We were doing a lot of private work, industrial work, and all. we weren't paying any more interest than in that on those loans at that time. That's what the rate was. And the loan, I think it was a quarter-year loan, and the uh, HUD, the government agency, they set the rents. We couldn't set the rents, they set the rent. And the only thing that went into that, into that rent was the payments on the mortgage, set aside our replacements, roofing, refrigerators, so went to the government and about 2% or 2.5% for management, period. This is the way they, so so after we, uh, the reason I'm getting a little ahead of myself, because the one that was selected uh, in St. Louis was uh, Shire, Jim Shire. Uh, in New York, that family had done a lot of housing in New York, uh, and uh, uh, they made a lot of money on housing because the New York people had to have a place to live. Uh, They they were used to renting, not owning, and they paid good rents, so they, with their family, uh, had a good, uh, long experience in profitable rental housing. So they were selected. and that's a long story. It was was in the newspapers competition between Second Art and Shawyers. And so anyway, they were selected. And not only here, they were selected in New York, in Puerto Rico, Sacramento, and California. <clears throat> All of them as developer. They were the developer. They were selected. Uh, so he needed a builder. I knew his father, Science. So, uh, uh, he got in touch with us and we were going to do the the construction of Cleetown for Shire. Uh, No sooner than we were getting started, Jim Shire decided that he wanted to run for Congress. (laughs) I was rather than he wanted to run for Congress. He wouldn't give him any money to run, so I bought out some millstone construction at that time. Elson Construction, Inc., we bought out Jim Shire, so he could run for Congress and he was elected. Now I wasn't a contractor anymore. Now I was a developer, owner, uh, and responsible for management. So, uh, uh, and I didn't object to that because from all these experiences that I've been relating to you, I had ideas as to what I thought ought to go into housing to make it livable, Now I had the opportunity to try to prove it, see if it would work. So what were these, and fortunately we have people in our company, and I'm sure you've read about over the years, that were with us later on, went off for themselves. Leon Strauss was with us, he became a developer manager that we put down there was Jerry Berger. A lot of stories have been written about him. Uh, and I'll tell you more about that. Uh, so uh, now uh, uh, now it was a matter of trying to build a project uh, from our previous experience with housing and the work. Number one, all of the previous projects were segregated. There wasn't no such thing as integrated housing, you know. All the public housing we built here, there was a couple of them for whites and the rest of them blacks, there, there, were, there was no integration, you know. So, at that time, at that time, integration sounded like a good idea. Again, I'm gonna get ahead of myself and say, very frankly, today it isn't such a great idea. That isn't at the top of the totem pole as as the most uh, desirable uh, element in housing, but it was at that time. So we decided we were going to have an integrated project. Also, we wanted to have a project that uh, people would enjoy living. Enjoy living, and the type of people that came in, as you I'm sure that you're aware of, if you did, were were a mix of people that today I question whether we could duplicate that. It was a success because we provided recreation. We took, uh, we had people from over at, uh, on, uh, how, what was it, the uh, Gaslight. Gaslight Square. Uh, we had the uh, reporter uh, who recent, oh, Joe Pollock lived down there. He wrote to me recently uh, uh, with great nostalgia with great times they had down there and then we also, uh, you must remember there was no school, the whole area had been cleared out. This was considered one of the worst slums. There was no no schools, there was no shopping, uh, no transportation here. We were almost uh, like out in the desert somewhere. We had to cope with that, which wasn't easy. Uh, we we were designing these built having these buildings designed for large families. There were three, four bedroom units. It wasn't like the uh, housing that we did for the uh, elderly elderly were comparatively simple, smaller units, you didn't have the problems of families and all, and was it different? We built a lot of that also. So anyway, we're now trying to see what we could come up with with a uh, desirable, successful project. And evidently we did accomplish it because uh, we've got files full of uh, uh, people uh, congratulating us, wanting to know how uh, they could do the same. We had uh, people from Western, it was his name? Uh, Roth. Rouse. Uh, Rouse. 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 Right. Rouse. And we, uh, our people, became very friendly with them. We talked back and forth what should be done and so forth. Then uh, Phil Klutznick, who uh, had uh, was also one of the uh, uh, housing, uh, national housing commissioner, whatever he was, uh, Phil Klutznick, he came down. He left the government and he started in Chicago a, a project uh, that they, they called, I think, Park Forest. You don't hear yourself, Park? I think they in Chicago, they it Park Forest. Also at that time were uh, a couple of young men from, uh, from uh, Memphis, uh, one of them was Joe Cantor, he came in uh, and they built what is now Canterbury Gardens. Yes. I'll make a few comments about that too, because that relates to architecture and also living style. You know. So anyway, these were the things that uh, went in to uh, create uh, the clean town. And all I can say, I took a great pride in it. It worked. The went down there, the Arthur went down there, to the, and their rent, by the way, we had to check uh, the rents, the income brought everybody, to in order to, to go in there. As a result, we have a lot of low-income people, but the low-income people were students, were you, issue, ushering you, people who didn't have any. Uh, definite income so they could certify that they were below a certain limit. And they, you must remember, they were going in housing and renting housing units for $100 a month. Uh, and it was a very desirable place to, to live. They liked living down there. We even bought a Rolls Royce storm car in order to t- drive the kids over to schools because we were homeless. We had to reopen the wearing School. And that's the story in itself. Because after we had it open and it was a model school, it started busting in a lot of the uh, people from the north and all who started creating problems for our children and all. Take a bicycle, beat some of them up. There was some problems. And Percy Green, by the way, I think. You can tell a little bit about that. Because I think he helped us out, as I recall, on some of those problems we ran into some of the, some of this, these problems. So, uh, so now it was highly successful. It was a desirable place to live. People were coming in paying market rate rent, but we can only take in a small percentage uh, at market rate, but they preferred, they wanted to live there. Then we started to get a lot of, on the uh, intake, we Reached the point where we had three, four people or more families that wanted to come in for every unit we had available. Now we started to run, run into problem with politicians wanting to put people in there. We had, uh, uh, I think a, a black group sued us even because you watched a white family came in and they said they were on the list ahead of them. We were trying to keep this as an integrated project. We were fully aware that the percent and the blacks realized it maybe they knew win- problems around starting the virus and we had and people were perfectly willing to increase the rent for security the rubbish removal and all i said no way we couldn't have it on the rent." as a result just construction that was doing a lot of other work where that was profitable all of our profits were going into the clean town, and we were losing two hundred thousand dollars a year to pay for these items could not be put on the We had at that time over 4,000 people living there, 1,400 families with three, four each. It's 45,000 people living there, and and now they were trying, from the point of view of economics, we. This is where the government makes a mistake. They think that some private corporation or who are individuals are going to be philanthropic enough to be able to pay the rent or the subsidy for people in order to keep rents low. I can assure you it is not true. Whenever anybody gets into uh, into housing, they expect to make a profit. And if there's a subsidy required, the government's gonna to have to come up with the subsidy. Even though they could be, the, the planners and all tried to conceal from Congress the fact that the money was being spent, so they started selling limited partnerships, which I would not do. I they didn't, didn't do it. And so I turned the project over to Jerry Berger. They, 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 he and some other people picked up millions of dollars selling limited partnerships so those people would get the depreciation. That was the end of the clean down. Now, limited partners won't put a nickel in the bag. It was requiring two, three hundred thousand a year of really a subsidy. It wasn't a subsidy over me. some somebody wants want to subsidize That's not realistic then on top of it, to rub salt and the wound. then when we gave it away, we had to pay a million and a half dollars in recapture tax for having gotten rid of the project because the depreciation has to, has to be reclaimed and so forth. So this was our uh, economic uh, story, why we uh, built it, why we tried to uh, run it as a successful project and by basically the mere fact that they tried to hold the rent at an unrealistic level, and somebody other than the government was supposed to be putting the the money in for subsidizing it. It will not work. And uh, concealing it by uh, letting people take uh, tax deductions against their income, which is withdrawn on the era of the selling limited partnerships with Jan Strauss, everybody did it. I did not do it. I didn't approve of it. Because eventually I figured it would fail. And why would it fail? Because the owners become the limited partners. The limited partners only want to be heard, what is our tax deduction? They're scattered all over the country. Different amounts of shares. Don't tell them the project needs good management. Don't tell them the needs repair. They're not interested. And now you have something running loose with, with, with nobody except the manager that is there who's, stuck, who's supposed to take care of repairs that cost money, supposed to take care of people, getting the proper people in it, which is a story in itself. You have to really, have to really, um, uh, really uh, swing the people or you're going to end in big trouble. So anyway, these are problems that existed there, and that's what happened. I could tell many more horror stories, but this is our story of how we got involved, with came and
2: what eventually happened. tenant living there in the Cleetown. town. First and foremost, let me just say that. Uh, glad to know that some persons uh, felt the need to come to listen about the plea Now, um, However, it is unfortunate that a lot more persons that uh, that would probably be interested are not here. I'm hoping that we do this again. Uh, and this time, of course, uh, make sure that the news media People in the community will have an opportunity to hear about the history of uh, Cleetown. So I just wanted to, uh, aside from what I was, what I'm about to say, I, I want to uh, make that point. Um, I moved into Cleetown about January 1965 and I left there August of 1985. Um, during this period, well, let me just share with you why would, as a person seeking housing, what about the what about plea town that was uh, uh, appealed? Well, at the time, I was involved in protest uh, activities getting an organization named Action. Action was an interracial or integrated protest organization. And of course, uh, if uh, uh, anyone that is looking for housing, of course, would be looking for uh, decent housing. And uh, the Cooley town at the time was about the only place that, uh, that was, uh, that qualified assess and, and at the same time in terms of uh, the uh, rent payments. So at the time I just got married and uh, uh, we went to uh, the management office located at that time on uh, Compton and, and Lawton And for the first time I met Jerry Burger. He was the uh, he was the, uh, the manager. And um, my wife and I at the time saw Jerry Burnham being a very colorful person, similar to many of the members that was in action. Action was an organization, so therefore Jerry at no point indicated that he had some fears of black folk, of black people. And um, so we went into the office and uh, made application just as any and everyone else. And I guess maybe after about a month or so, we were called and indicated that we had, uh, they found an apartment for us. At that point, I think the first unit that, that we moved into was uh, 2987, 3119 Longwood. And then uh, we stayed there for a while except 3119 Lawton was considered uh, University Heights Central. That was the the units there uh, located from Compton up to Cardinal and then of course they were still building and then they uh, the other units were pretty much the same as the one that we just moved into and it was called University Heights uh, East, and uh, shortly afterwards, uh, we moved to 2987, and then the, I guess that was, oh, I guess, uh, let's see, from 66 up until about 70-something, and then uh, Breakthrough were the other units, and they were the units um, east of um, EOA. And then there were some other units that was uh, west of Compton, and each one of those projects there were about 200 and some odd units. So um, after having moved from um, to 2987, I then moved to a Breakthrough, that was located there right off of Compton uh, at 3119, I believe the walk well the interesting thing here was that keep in mind that people that was involved in protest action and, and would have found housing difficult um, any place because a lot of landlords would have felt as if uh, you know, civil rights people were undesirables so or if not they would, they would have uh, Cause problems for other tenants, etc. Jerry Berger didn't see us as being a liability. If anything, he saw us as being an asset. And uh, he had interesting people around him. At least that was the way that we perceived it. Uh, They were people uh, that uh, went either into art or in various forms. Uh, They were social type of persons, people that uh, were were into parties, uh, etc. Writers, musicians, uh, people on the left, people in the middle, people on the right. It was a very interesting chemistry of people that were being developed here. Of course, Jerry Berg at that particular time he had the responsibility of placing people, and if you weren't an asset, if you weren't a person that was going to add something to the community, well then of course uh, you were not uh, you were not let in. So it seemed as if he had a very very way of uh, developing uh, the town and it worked <coughs> as long as he had the power. He people. He did not lump all people of the same sort together. He didn't lump all blacks together. He had a black here. He had a white here. He had a Hispanic here. He had another person that uh, that was of another interest. But it was very, very colorful, and uh, and it worked. And I was very, very much uh, I think uh, was impressed with uh, in the manner that. It worked done. Uh, He's been the manager, uh, as well as uh, the people that, uh, that I met and interacted with during this particular period. At or about 1975, 70, somewhere around 75, I believe, I began to and others began to start seeing things deteriorate. Um, Of course, there was a lot of rumors uh, here and there about monies and being short. We had a change in the administration, of course, and uh, the Republican Party was in, and uh, of course, there was a limited amount of money for social type programs. Um, Then, of course, uh, it was rumored that there were other interest uh, groups, Jerry had to seek impl- and to seek uh, or reorganize uh, uh, the management and ownership in order to get monies uh, in order to try to keep the town going. And of course, uh, being a resident and a tenant and interest and in other things, it wasn't really my interest of really finding out all of the fine inner workings. I've learned more about all of that after reading some of uh, of the writings of uh, Mr. uh, Beauvoir as it relates to his uh, his thesis and all. But it all makes sense as it relates to my memory of about what took place during that particular time. And, Shortly thereafter, as I pointed out, uh, we noticed there was what we call white flight. Um, it seemed as if that whites, uh, after their children got up to a certain age, you know, uh, there was a need for them to move to other areas. Now, I don't know whether that is, whether that would be considered as an unfair indictment or not. The point was that it, it happened. Of course, I mean, one could very easily argue that due to the deterioration of management not being able to fulfill its obligations. And here was a very interesting, strange thing. Uh, see, at the time that we first moved into the town, I mean, much of the talk was that the town was private, uh, that it was a private uh, community, et cetera. Police department would not ordinarily, you know, police the the area or drive down through the area. Strangely uh, enough, the town had to be responsible for its own security. Um, <clears throat> trash pickup, things that other neighborhoods uh, would take for granted, the town had to pick up its own trash. Then have to take it to a big, large dumpster, and then someone or and and had to management had to pay for uh, the the trash to be uh, uh, to be hauled away. Well, we used to get trash bags. It was just whenever you paid the rent, there were certain things that you just automatically got. So, in other words, people were pretty much (coughs) accustomed, or maybe became spoiled, because there were so many things that were. Uh, that were given, that all of a sudden when things began to start deteriorating, well, I mean you no longer got trash bags, and then all of a sudden uh, trash was not being picked up daily, it, 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 it was being picked up every other day, and then some days or some weeks it wasn't picked up at all. So all of a sudden people then began to become very frustrated and, and moved and move away. Now, Of course, some of this could be laid at the foot of management, uh, but then I think that uh, when you look at the overall scheme of things, you can very easily see how other things were impacting, was impacting the uh, the decision-making in terms of management. So, in closing, because I want to uh, Get into some of uh, the interacting of uh, some of you, and notice that some of you uh, are in the audience that had also lived in the Glee town and uh, probably had very very good experiences as I had, very rewarding experiences um, uh, from uh, from a political standpoint as well as from a social standpoint, and. Uh, I strongly recommend it uh, if it could ever be done again. I differ with Mr. Milestone in terms of the social, the social integration thing. I think that uh, the mere fact of having that experience, even though I was having that experience from a limited, a limited fashion by having an interracial organization, but that whole experience broadened itself and getting a better understanding among people and the interesting thing that I learned from that experience—I certainly would hope that many persons had that opportunity—and that is that we're more alike than we are different. And uh, and you, you, I think that you only really get a chance to understand that when you're living together and happen to do some of the same things. Each each person get a chance to see that. Uh, being factual, rather than assuming or making uh, speculations. So uh, I think that even though the clean town originally started with the, the fabric of, uh, of uh, integrating uh, racially as well as economically, um, and I'm sure that most persons that had that experience. Would agree with me that it was a rewarding experience. I think it tore down a whole lot of the, the walls of, uh, of, of, of the stereo, the stereotyping. Uh, whether you look at it from black, whether you look at it looking at it through black eyes or looking through white eyes, that a lot of that whole entire uh, stereotyping uh, diminished. So uh, without any further ado, I think I will just uh, leave my comments uh, at that point and then leave some time for the other spe- uh, speaker and then maybe we can get into some interacting. Right. Thank you. Hmm?
0: A master's degree in architectural and social work from Washington University. And I was very fortunate to do my architectural design studio with Mr. Grice about a couple of years ago a semester, where I learned uh, many, many things. And uh, Mr. Grice's uh, firm was selected by the mayor's advisory task force from among many other firms to come up with new plans and new designs for the future of county, And now Mr Grice will share with us his plans and his uh ideas and what how to go about designing such as a progress.
3: get involved in housing. From that time, my father was in construction, a laborer with uh, various construction companies. Uh, uh, I believe it was Frucola at that time, Frucola. And he would take me over to a lot of the sites. Uh, I think all of you probably remember the Raw American shows that took place on the old Mill Creek area when uh, cleantown before cleantown was built. The carnival, that was always there. And I, had the opportunity to see some of the things that were going on and the construction that was going on. And I've had an interest in in, uh, construction all that time. So my perspective uh, growing up in St. Louis, continuing in school in St. Louis, and now practicing in St. Louis in terms of housing was completely uh, different. Some of the aspects were along the same lines. I met Mr. Green in the uh, Washu Social Work School. We had a lot of discussions on, on pruitt Igo and similar to what uh, Mr. Bovar is doing on Laclede Town, I did some of the same thoughts on on uh, pruitt Igo. After graduating, I spent about four years with the St. Louis Housing Authority, working on various uh, developments in, uh, in St. Louis, and surprisingly, Mr. Green was at the Housing Authority at that time, so we had a lot of interaction, a lot of exchange, a lot of discussions on different social issues, different uh, thoughts about architecture different thoughts about management, different thoughts about not only internal management of developments but external such as HUD or St. Louis Housing Authority in terms of how these things are implemented and, and whether they're successful or not successful. Um, I've continued my practice doing low to moderate income housing in the city of St. Louis and have had the opportunity to work with numerous uh, housing groups as well as with HUD, as well as the St. Louis Housing Authority. Uh, We've recently completed the design for the DeSales Mutual Housing, which is a different type of um, um, management group. And I think a lot of the things that that came up as a result of some of the issues with Laclee Town, uh, Mutual Housing is part of that. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with Mutual Housing, The first aspect is that there is a neighborhood group that that puts this process together. Once that's done, the first set of tenants really have control as to what's going on. Once those tenants are are selected, they make a selection on who their manager will be. And when there's attrition through tenants moving out, they make a selection on who the next tenant will be. So they know who their neighbors are, they make uh, decisions on when those rents should be raised, when maintenance is required, and all of those aspects, which I think are are critical in terms of housing. One of the things that we did in in designing that housing is that we did not go back to our office and come back with a set of plans saying, this is what's gonna take place. We worked with the neighborhood group, all the pros and cons on on what should take place here, and they were very much aware of, of why these decisions were made why there were three bedrooms, why there were two bedrooms, why the mix was here, why the playground was set up the way it was, why the parking the way it was, and I think part of my background in social work in WashU deals with that whole notion of participatory design. We're gathering that type of information, putting forth all the pros and cons, and then whatever decision is made, there's rationale for that. We brought forth that same type of thought and that's philosophy with the mayor's task force on, quote, the redevelopment of the Town. We've been working with CDA and the mayor's task force uh, since January of 94. We completed our assignment uh, July of this year. To give you some idea, the mayor had a task force of some 20 different uh, partic- participants. They range from his administrative assistants to Goldman's Bank, St. Louis U. Harris-Stowe, Maria Church, which is surrounding Lacleetown, um, Town, um, the Locust Business District, which is a little bit to the north, uh, the different congressmen and senators' offices, uh, A.G. Edwards, which is to the east, uh, CDA, which is a St. Louis agency, as well as residents, Maddie Trice, who represented the, the, the residents and uh, some of the people who currently live in 60 North Ewing. Also on this panel was HUD. Ken Lang actually attended these meetings and and gave his input in terms of of what's going on. One of the things that we were uh, uh, more or less obligated to do was to go through the typical analysis of of what's around the area, what currently exists, some of the current land use, hopefully in, in regards to what the future land use would be sure many of you are familiar with Laclede Town. I brought a couple slides and I'll show you shortly, but we established early on that any criteria that, or any selection that we went through would be based on, on a set of, of uh, evaluation criteria. And that criteria dealt with historic use and investment, what kind of money had already been put in, what was it used before CLE Town, what's the current use, What are the market factors of the area? What's surrounding the area? What's what's gonna really impact what takes place here now? Job creation. What goes back, will there be any jobs or will it be something that does not create jobs? Are we talking about short term in terms of construction or are we talking about long term in terms of what goes there? Also, community impacts and benefits. Uh, Revenue to the city through land sale. If the land was sold, what kind of revenue would be here? For x purpose or y purpose Uh, the cost of city services you've heard two gentlemen talk about uh, city services here you start talking about different types of activities this deals with improvement of the infrastructure whether it's sewers water uh, gas electric uh, transportation or even trash pickup police services uh, school services all of those kind of things city services that must be uh, included and then you look at annual taxes to the city what type of uh, redevelopment will create the best types of uh, tax base for the city the last item not the last but one of the most important items since there are still about 275 occupied units and we're talking about 275 or so families and these are three four five bedroom units multiply that out to get an idea of how many families are still left out of the 1,100 or so units on the 50 acres of McLean Town. Uh, next to last item is the environmental issues, abatement of, of lead-based paint, uh, any type of, of subsurface structures that were there. Mr. Millstone will tell you there were a lot of gas stations that were on that side, a lot of factories, a lot of industries, When this was built in 1960, some of the environmental issues that we deal with today were not at issue at that particular time. So when McLean Town is demolished, if that's the decision, what kind of uh, environmental issues are we uncovering here? And the last item that we were were, uh, forced to deal with in terms of the evaluation criteria was the financial feasibility. Who's going to pay for this? Mr. Billstone pointed out that the only way a lot of these things are done is through government subsidy. Uh, The the main reason that the mayor's office got involved in this is that the uh, local HUD Department of Housing and Urban Development decided they wanted to give the land to the city. Uh, Through this Mayor Bosley said we want to really look at this, evaluate this in terms of, of what's the best use for this particular land. He did not want to do this particular exercise in a vacuum. That was the reason for setting up the task force. He felt that this task force was a, a good representation of, of the city of St. Louis. Uh, also part of this was Mary Clark, who was the alderwoman, uh, is the alderwoman of the area, and, and she represented the uh, constituents, constituents here. Uh, through this process, we developed, I think, uh, four or five different scenarios we went through this evaluation criteria for each one of these i think the <coughs> first one was leaving La town as it is perhaps reducing the density and going through uh, the exercise of, of renovating those units going from perhaps 1100 units down to maybe 700 or something like that i think through this evaluation criteria it was determined that this was not one of the options that the uh, task force wanted to explore uh, we had two options under what we called scenario two and that was to do some sort of mix between uh, expansion of the institutions that were around the area which were st louis u harris stowe and berea church in uh, continuing some aspect of housing uh, rental housing as well as single family in that particular scenario we were looking at uh, which we called Scenario 2A, 91 single family homes and the development of approximately 120 low to moderate income uh, units, keeping uh, what's known as Operation Breakthrough uh, East, I believe, which is right behind A.G. Edwards. For those of you who are not familiar, McLean Town is, is comprised of, I think, five different developments there's breakthrough west um, breakthrough east breakthrough east and we had central. university central university east, east, east and, and the, uh, park. the park so those were the five different uh, sections of the Clee town many reason people think that those, center Park... the reason
1: for that was that the government wasn't willing to allocate more than a certain amount until it was proven to be successful and then they move on to the next one we get another until we ended up with breakthrough which was basically experimental housing
3: in order to reduce cost. I think as Mr. Millstone said it's done in, in numerous phases. Most people think of Clee Town as I'll show you on the slides that particular section, but that was actually known as University Heights Central and University Heights East. Uh, (laughs) Scenario 2B that we proposed, through working with the task force, going through all of these different uh, options, was to do 49 single family homes and 68 low to moderate income uh, uh, units. Part of the rationale for this is, many of you remember when uh, Mayor Bosley ran for election, one of his components was to create housing